Welcome back to the True to You podcast. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh, and it's really good to be here with you today. I've got a part two episode of sorts. Actually, she's a guest that we had on not that long ago, only a couple of episodes back. Linda Halesto is back for a second conversation. This time, part two with Linda is diving deeper into more of the somatic work that she does. So understanding the bodily responses that we get when we find ourselves in stressful situations, when we find ourselves in heightened emotions in our business, which is often, right? Small business owners, creatives, things don't go our way, things change, things go really well and then suddenly we're on the hook and we've got to perform and all of those things. It's a constant roller coaster. Life's a constant roller coaster. Add small business in there and you've got something even more exciting. You've got a crazier roller coaster to ride, right? So Linda's work in her coaching work, she not only helps you with sales strategy and understanding that side of business, she also is able to help you tap into what's going on emotionally for you. And this is really key, especially when it comes to something like sales, because we can get really hijacked by our our emotions very easily and they can be very heightened and excited emotions in sales. And we can also feel a little bit solemn and despondent because it's not going the way that we thought. And with sales, especially if you're someone that has to have a sales conversation or some sort of interface with your client before they work with you, a conversation to see if you're a good fit, all of that commonly happens in the coaching industry. But a lot of the business owners we work with one-to-one, be it a lawyer, be it a designer, that's actually a really important part. We need to know if you can help us. And so that initial conversation, depending on what's on the line, what they need, how urgent, budget, all of those things, it can be quite stressful, right? So we need to be able to learn to understand our own emotions. There's also another part of this, which is being able to work with the client's emotions as well. But for this conversation, Linda and I mainly look at that emotional roller coaster that we all go through. So this conversation also, might I add, I'm playing around with a few things with the podcast. I just want to share this very briefly with you that we're 160 episodes in and interviewing is one of those skills that's really cool to learn and learning to improve your interviewing over time is something that I'm working on a lot. So I appreciate any feedback. If you have any feedback, I'm just being totally raw and honest here. If you have feedback on particular episodes, what went well, what you enjoyed. And so for this episode, I threw Linda in the deep end and it's not as structured as I would normally do for an episode, but I'm actually really hoping that you enjoy that because 
sometimes I know it can feel like when we listen to certain podcasters, I have a couple in mind, especially in the business space, it can really feel like the episode is trying to hit X number of points and make sure that we touch on this and make sure this is really articulated well and and we go here and we go there and, and there's kind of a formula to it and I think now people are catching on to that and I personally love when I'm like a fly on the wall in someone's conversation and you get all of those little bits that you would get if it was just a conversation between two friends. So that's a little insight behind the scenes into some things that I'm working on with the podcast. So any feedback is really appreciated. And in fact, if you enjoy the True to You podcast and there's an episode that you enjoy, I'd love you to do two things. The first thing would be to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. Spotify, I think you can uh, click a little button and you can give it a star rating. So all those things really help. And the second thing would be is if you're listening to an episode and something stood out or you enjoyed the guest and you're open to sharing it on your social media, that would be really cool because... A lot of work goes into podcasting, even though, as I've said, this is more of a creative outlet and helping me to build community and relationships. It's also really cool if we can get it to more people, right? Because I know that a lot of these guests that I have on have really interesting stories and interesting takes on business that you won't hear on a lot of other podcasts. So Without further ado, let's get into part two, another conversation with the amazing Linda Halesto. What's it been like for you moving to a country that speaks your second language, English, and starting a business? You Have you found any conflict at all in terms of, do I do more of my stuff in English now because I could start oh, yeah. build, building yeah. an audience? Yeah. Why don't you, yeah. we might, we might jam on this for a, for a second. So first, first I thought like, oh yeah, my customers are in Finland because I have a nice story. You know, the Finn that follows her dream, moves into a different country, starts her own business. It's kind of a like, oh, she did it. Because yeah. I I loved to read those type of stories when I was living in Finland. So being the one who actually followed through if you know what I mean mm. I thought like yeah obviously this is the brand messaging that would probably resonate the most with Finns and having you know, business coming from Finland however I started feeling intrigued by doing podcasts in English by speaking 
on videos on English, like in, in in English. And I find that it's easier to talk about certain topics in English than it is in Finnish because the words hold different meanings. The meanings are slightly different. So when you're using English versus Finnish, you're painting a slightly different picture. Uh-huh. If you know what I mean. So actually talking about certain stuff in English has been first of all an identity change in a way or not a change but expansion mm. and second of all coming to the notion that why the heck would I limit myself to only taking customers from Finland like why <laughs> Again, it was Roberta who asked, like, like, why not? Yeah. And it was it was done in a really nice way, you know, really respectfully. And I was like, yeah. Why not? <laughs> But again, you're stuck in your own box. You're stuck in your own way of thinking. And when there someone comes with a flashlight and just points out like, You live in an English-speaking country. Your audience audience is global. Why are you taking just customers from Finland? Like, why aren't you doing your marketing in English? It's like, but I don't know how to speak English. That's that's the one thought. The longer you live in a country where you don't speak your mother tongue, mm-hmm. the less you know how to speak, let's say, English. The longer I live here, the less I know how to speak English. It's weird. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yes. And also, depending on what English-speaking country you're in, you pick up different, we call it slang in Australia or New Zealand. You mm-hmm. pick up little idiosyncratic behavior in the way that you speak and even the way you start to articulate things if you notice I think if even more so if you're influenced by a certain country, even as an English speaker, speaker, if I'm really influenced by American culture or I'm following a lot of American entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. I notice a lot of people start to ch- shift their voice and start to speak like. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. So I think you get the opportunity to blend both worlds though which is such a unique point that you can have in your marketing and I think for an English-speaking person or for someone living in Canada the US maybe Australia New Zealand you can actually start to bring some of your little nuances that are from your Finnish culture but exactly exactly and 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 this was when I started doing brand work with a professional and this is the reason why I really highlight that have a coach have a mentor have someone that you can bounce back ideas with someone who can see you clearly because you don't always see yourself clearly and having a professional that I worked with regarding my own branding Mm. I was like for one really 
concrete example. My last name is Helisto, H-E-L-I-S-T-O. But in Finland, the O has dots. Mm. Uh, so it's Helisto. Helisto. But in English, it's Helisto. <laughs> and and here, because even my, like, let's say on my keyboard, I have the US keyboard. It doesn't come naturally with, let's say, O with dots. I do have the Finnish uh, keyboards on my computer, but let's say like typing into official forms or whatnot, you cannot really put in O with dots because they don't know how to process it. So it's easier for me to just put put an O. However, when I started doing this brand work, my amazing mentor slash coach looked at me and said like, why don't we put the dots back in because that's where you're coming from eh? like (laughs) you are from Finland you are Finnish so why not put it into a pedestal and actually work on that and I was like yeah because it's a totally different angle Mm. instead of being oh yeah I'm a professional living in Canada but coming from the background, like, oh, I lived in Finland and I moved to Canada and started my professional career here. It's a it's a totally like a different twist. But again, it comes into owning my own background and owning my, oh, I don't know all the words. Oh, I don't always know how to speak. <laughs> like, I will make mistakes. I don't like my grammar is not perfect but I think that's what makes us human too like yeah not everybody knows how to speak yeah even even the when you're speaking your own native language you don't don't know how to speak and and yeah we have all sorts of funny things that filter in but I think that's one thing that we work with people on is we're always trying to find those little things it doesn't mean that you have to be all or nothing you can just pull little threads from your cultural background the way you speak and even so with living within Australia if you live in the country or like western suburbs versus living by the coast you're going to speak slightly differently and there's one person that I think of she's a lawyer And for her, it's been the most amazing transformation to just bring a few of those little things in and not be ashamed or embarrassed if they Mm. drop into her conversations or if they drop into her videos. If anything, dial a little bit of that up a bit and then people (laughs) will feel like they can relate to you because they're not talking to a machine that's I think I think the biggest thing is that and I also think that it it makes you distinguishable like it makes you pop out amongst all the people who might be talking about the same thing and it's your way of talking and it's your voice and again I think it's also coming to the fact that you're owning your own stories you're owning your own path to the point where you are right now and it's like cooking a soup with more ingredients Mm. Mm. but again I think that you need a someone (laughs) 
a person, someone who can hold the space where you can actually go into maybe even something that you have been ashamed of in the past, something that you're not totally owning yet. And actually just going in there and process the emotions and see, oh yeah, like I'm, yeah, this is part of my story and this is important to me. Like this comes to the fact that I just recently, we went into a cruise with Yossi, my husband, and it was actually the love boat. Do you remember the series? No way. No way. I was just reading about this. Not the original one from from the new series. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading about this a few weeks ago and how how for P&O cruises the love boat is one of the most original examples of story-driven marketing because they they used the show to not sell cruises but to sell the story of what happens when you go on a cruise and by default P&O grew from two cruise ships to like 106, uh, like crazy, crazy, crazy numbers, millions and millions of millions. And oh my goodness, they're loyal. Are they? Okay. The people are loyal. Like I'd be there with the stroller or with the kid and, you know, like a couple would come in like, oh, how are you doing? Like, are you enjoying this? I'm like, yeah, like this is our first time on a cruise. Oh, we've been on like 15. (laughs) This is our favorite boat, like if you compare it to its sister boat, this and that, and they would start, they would know all the stories and they would start comparing the activities, the food. Okay. So how are the common areas and how it like, yeah, I was, it's a (laughs) lifestyle. And to be honest, when I stepped on the boat and I saw the golden marble Everything was so shiny. All the lights were strategically positioned. People were happy. You know, like it's like adult summer camp or Vegas on (laughs) sea. It's like unlimited access to either booze or Zumba. Zumba. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it's crazy. Or like it was interesting, let's say that. Yeah. And when I was there sipping my pina colada and looking at people, I think there had been a Zumba. No, no, they were just dancing and people being festive and just, you know, girlfriends hanging around, you know, ladies in their 60s, having a girl's night out, popping my ties. And, and I looked at everything and I was like, oh, my goodness. I feel like I'm on a movie set. Like, is this real? And it actually took over a day for me to actually land in. In that world. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here. I can just be here and enjoy the free access to pastries, nice drinks, shopping, like I'm here (laughs) and that's going back to the stories that we 
own. I don't want to say disown because usually it's not disowning consciously, but it's not being aware of something. So about owning a story, that's when I realized like, oh my goodness, this goes back into the fact about what do I deserve and how can things come to me? Do I have to work really hard for them? Do I have to overshare even slightly so that I deserve good things? And I was sitting there looking at the there was this golden staircase with marbles and it was gorgeous, beautiful. And I looked at it and I realized like, I'm the economist who has been afraid of money. And this, like, again, when you look at your past and you start seeing things clearly, at least for me, I start seeing stories oh my goodness, that has happened. And then I realized a new thing about my business too. I was like, oh yeah, it's not just about performance and performing at your best or like building a business that really looks like your own and living life on your own terms. But it also comes to money mindset. It also comes to the difficult emotions that money and being in business can bring up. I was like, ooh, I hadn't thought of of that before. It was a love boat that brought it up. (laughs) Of all places for you to have your spiritual awakening around money. (laughs) On a cruise ship with some 60, 70, maybe even 90-year-olds. Having the time of their life. <laughs> and and uh, they would do their morning Zumbas in the concrete, like they, Nike is on a gorgeous, like, con, like I don't even know the stone type. It, it was not marble, but something really fancy. And, you know, just ladies, they came with their sneakers and some of them had their maybe dresses on and some of them were on their workout gear, like in their workout gear and covered with all the gold, the coffees, someone sipping beer at 10 a.m. No, no, (laughs) people weren't. Sorry. They were always drinks. No regular beer. I, I really didn't see anybody drinking regular beer. It was always something fancy from a long glass. So the reason why Linda and I thought we should sit down for another conversation was there was part of the original interview that we wanted to get to. And instead of going for three hours, we decided let's do a part two conversation and dive into a few things that people wouldn't necessarily relate to sales or to money, but are actually incredibly key and a missing piece of the puzzle for a lot of people when it comes to 
feeling confident in sales, which is what we spoke about last time, feeling confident pricing your work, feeling confident receiving from your clients, not only receiving financially, but also receiving opportunities in general. Mm, and exactly. The missing piece is this body-mind connection and understanding the role that that plays and also your nervous system. And so I think what you were just saying about the cruise ship story segues very nicely. Well done, Linda. Well done. <laughs> Into what we were going to talk about today. And just to just let people know, we're freestyling today. We totally we're are. freestyling. We totally are. So we're dancing. If you like... <laughs> Yeah. If you like this new style of interviewing as well, please let me know because, you know, it's fun to change it up sometimes and not have to feel like you got to hit all the points. And that's why we thought this part two would be perfect because it allows us a chance to, to really just dive deep into this. So you mentioned there that you had an interesting, well, what you didn't realize probably was that you had a whole history around money, but you you mentioned actually in a conversation we had before we jumped on to record that you were having some experiences in Finland around your work, around your career. It, to me, it sounded like you were having a lot of resistance and you were continually kind of experiencing these things. And then when you moved to Canada, the same thing started happening again. You thought, oh, oh and I really thought that I left them behind. Yeah. I really New thought environment, I read, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I, I had read all the self-help books. I I did the meditations. I I was really just ready to, oh, I'm starting anew. I'm not going to take this, any of this frustration, anger, any of the feelings that someone is holding me back you know the feeling when you're getting fired up you're like oh someone is not letting me you know perform at my best someone is blocking my creativity they're not letting me shine damn bastards and it's always <laughs> some like they are not it's always someone and else's I, fault exactly yeah. <laughs> they are making me feel this way and when I resigned, or I, I think the correct word is, is quit. Again, this comes to English. Is it resigned or quit? I don't know, but I left my job. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So I left my job to prepare for the move because we had to sell everything. We sell. We sold our house. We sold our car. We sold all like everything that you accumulate for 10 years over tens of years and it took a lot of work but at that time I was feeling exhausted at the end of or before we made the decision that oh we're going to leave to Canada my desire to always be on top of everything always give my best, always being on the push, 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 you know, work on yourself, uh, work on this thing, work on this thing, develop yourself. 
be the best version you can be like of yourself so that you can thrive at work. And oh my, like I was pushing like, oh yes, I need to do this and this and this. And I need to do this better so that I can be better at work because I wanted to prove that I can do, like I have what it takes. I wanted to be really good at what I do. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Question on that. I'm curious to know culturally, is that something that is normal? Do Finns push themselves? I feel like all of the Scandinavian friends I've had, they've, they've, there's a high standard for your life and a lot of them are university educated. They were doctors. They were holding high positions often. So do you think part of that was your cultural upbringing? Did you come from a family where everybody was was pushing hard or working hard or was that just something you decided on your own you just went out on your own tangent there so if we, if we start with the cultural component mm. i don't think of myself as a typical finn but i do recognize that there is this sense of duty doing what you said that you would do okay Integrity. and when you're hot yeah. exactly and for me working in a startup in sales being in the team that is driving growth that the business stays healthy I took a lot of responsibility onto myself because that was my job. And I believe that you can thrive, or maybe that's not the correct word. I believe that you can perform on a high level and execute well without the guilt that comes from, oh, like I didn't push myself enough. Oh, I made a mistake over there. Oh, I wonder what's going on. And this again comes back to the nervous system. And you asked about like, was it something in my family? I do have to say, like I've been really privileged. My mother, she was a concert pianist, a classically trained. And before starting to teach in our home, teaching kids, adults, holding groups, music groups, and so on. She used to tour around the world. And she also toured in Australia. And being a classically trained concert pianist, I was emerged by music from the very, very start. Like she used to put me in front of a piano, a grand piano, because we had a grand piano, (laughs) because you have to have a grand piano in your living room. And I would start playing. And just to, you know, paint a picture, I'm less than one. And she would actually write down what I was playing in like, actual notes. And there was a track record of my composing (laughs) 
But the thing is, what I remember from those moments of wanting to express myself and wanting to play the piano, I always, or the main thing on my head is that I remember, do that again. Do that again. Go back. Now remember this. Again. And again. And again. And it has made me... I can still play a lot of stuff just based on my hearing because my mother was, she was one of the first Suzuki method teachers in Finland. And I still, by ear, I can play a lot of stuff. However, I'm I'm not too sure if that's the reason, but I... I have a feeling that that has contributed to the fact that I need to, like my performance needs to be perfect. Mm. And that's a really, that's a really heavy belief to have subconsciously that in order to get money, you have to perform perfectly. And that's really hard. Let's say when you're starting your business, and you don't you're starting out and you don't really know what you're doing yet and this belief actually it manifested as behaviors like i didn't send invoices <gasps> because i didn't feel that my work was good enough mhm i i can see your pain <laughs> like eventually i did send them but i postponed it because i felt guilty I do not deserve this money because my performance wasn't there where it could have been. And you could talk about these behaviors as self-sabotage, but (sighs) I I don't like the word self-sabotage because you are, you are like, your behavioral patterns have kept you safe like that belief that behavior has been beneficial for you it has given you the thing that you wanted like that you needed the sense of safety the sense of connection just your basic needs met and when I noticed this that okay it's money the sense of perfect execution and this is actually causing a lot of stress resistance in my own business and heck I'm not working for someone else anymore I'm working for myself and these same things are still creating resistance like okay I need to let this belief go like I need to make peace with this it's outdated like thank you but I don't need you anymore. How do you, how did you know that that was the the belief? Because I think for a lot of people, when they hear this, they might not have done the work to look into their history around money, or they might not have access to the tools. So for someone that's listening, that's thinking, 
Yeah, I have similar behavior, similar patterns, call it self-sabotaging when it comes to money. What might that be coming from? Where would you say someone to start to get to the bottom of that? Listen to the voice as if it's a part of you that's not you and listen to what it's trying to say. Because that way you gain this perspective into your inner dialogue that it's something that's happening in your mind, but that's not you. You are observing. And this is really, really hard because especially when they are, there are beliefs or parts of us that are yelling danger, danger. It's really hard to take that imaginary two steps back and to look at that part lovingly and with curiosity. I just woke up to feed my baby. It was two weeks back, middle of the night. And I held him and then this panic thought like a line of thought a train of thought came crashing and it was like the train came like it just went through my head and you're going to run out of money money is going to like you're not going to be able to pay your bills you're going to get into bankruptcy money that every penny in the world is going to like you're going to run out of money there will be no money. And I could feel my inner dialogue going faster and faster and faster. I could hear, like, feel my heart pumping faster and faster and my palms getting sweaty. And I started, okay, so what if I do this and this, and then I could do this and this and this. And then I realized it's only a thought. And it's a part of me that feels, that doesn't feel safe with the current situation. And I can give it the space to feel heard. And just noticing that, okay, this is only a thought and this is only an emotion, but that's that's necessarily necessarily not true per se, gave me they it reminded me that by stepping back and looking at the thought listening to the voice is often the best thing that we can do and in my case just listening to the voice i said like i was talking like talking to myself i looked in my mind's eye i looked at the voice And I imagined a tiny person, a tiny me, speaking these things out. And I told her, thank you. Thank you for letting me know. Is there something that I can do for you now? And I also asked her that, okay, what, like, what is the worst thing that could happen? I just trying to start a conversation with that part of me. 
and I could feel my whole body relaxing, my inner dialogue, it started calming down. And I could almost feel that a part of me that had been panicking out felt heard. And that made them made it feel safe. And by the like, I put my baby back to bed. I put my head back to the pillow. And the moment I was putting the like put putting the blanket over me, I got a new business idea or a new income stream idea. Like, thank you. So behind this panicky, mind worrying part of me was this enormous capacity for business creativity. And it only needed to be heard. And again, I think this type of understanding, knowing how your nervous system affects your inner speech, your emotions, and your somatic experiences. It brings a new understanding, a new depth into your business. Yeah. Okay, let's break a couple of those things down. So somatic experience, I think you're probably talking about what you feel in your body. How do we tune in to that? What does that look like? What are we what are we looking for? What are we trying to notice? Whatever comes up. I was never rather calm. Like I have never been comfortable with my feelings. There has been a lot of categorizing things as good as bad or good or bad. And feeling my feelings has not been my forte. However, when I realized that I really want to let go of these limiting beliefs or outdated beliefs, that I really want to start living in the future and not creating the future from the past, I want to learn how to metabolize emotions, how to let emotions run their course and me just letting them do their job and providing me the information. And to your question, how, how do you start doing? How do you how do you learn this? For me, one of the biggest things that has helped me has been actually just stopping and scanning my body and learning how my senses feel. Small things. Do I feel warmth in my palms? How does my stomach feel? Is there tension in my jaw? Oh, what about the space between my eyebrows? How do I feel? Like, is there tension? How is my inner speech? How does it sound? Is it harsh? Is it demanding? Or is it calm, relaxed, just observing? Am I tightening my belly? 
where is my breath coming from? Is it coming from my upper chest? Am I breathing with my shoulders? Or is it actually coming from the diaphragm? Just going into your body and sensing things as they're as they are and not necessarily putting any values on what you're finding out because yes yes not putting any values in yeah yeah just bringing awareness conscious awareness, awareness. yeah yeah so nervous system it's spoken a lot about we both have or have had a practice of kundalini yoga in our life at points and nervous system is a very intrinsic part of that. It's, it's almost like a, a pillar, if you will, of the teachings as in the response of the nervous system is what we're always trying to work with, with the practice. And so I have a little bit of an understanding and, and through also other practitioners that I've worked with and things like that but a lot of people probably hear that word and they go oh what is a nervous system it's not like a muscle or it's not a an organ or it's not like what does this actually mean when people talk about this so maybe you can share a little bit go into what what working and understanding the nervous system looks like or what it is really to start off with I think It's an information gathering and sharing, I would like to say, device that runs through our body. Our autonomic is highly responsible for our behaviors, how we go into situations and how we see the world. The nervous system is there to keep us safe, to ensure that homeostasis, that we always find our back, our way back to balance, that we can we can live. And when I'm saying homeostasis, I'm meaning the actually the really narrow window of certain pH levels, certain hydration levels, chemical compounds, the actual physical environment where your cells are living. And we can it like we can, We can fluctuate like up or down, having too much of something or too little of something. But in the end of the day, if we don't find our way back to homeostasis, our cells don't work properly or optimally, how they are designed. Our bodies don't work as optimally as they could as a mechanism as a biological mechanism 
we need that balance. And nervous system provides us the below conscious behaviors or provides us with the unconscious behaviors that help from its perspective, help us to stay alive. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's complex, yet it's something that is, like you say, the, the keystone, if you will, for all of, all of the functions in our body. And I, over the years, I probably, I think in my early twenties, especially, I would have not known what the hell any kind of nervous system was. I was just <laughs> pushing the limits of my body in all directions. Exactly. Right? And you have to yes. go through that. You have to go through that. But at a certain point, it's that awareness that you were talking about before. You know, you notice, and I guess I'm going to talk a little bit on a on a spiritual side as well. It feels when your nervous system's off, this is me personally, I feel like I'm vibrating at a weird level. And then when the nervous system is really well tuned, you're vibrating at another level, but you can almost feel that vibration in your body. And, and the two feel the two ends of the spectrum feel completely different. And so every day you're constantly tuning back into that, but it's a really great cornerstone, keystone. And I guess that's where breath work has become so popular, right? Because it helps to, would you say, tune the nervous system, stimulate different parasympathetic, sympathetic, all of these things. We don't need to get exactly. into that. But but if we if we kind of tap into there, what I think that we often forget that we only have X amount of energy for the day. And our nervous system actually decides on how we're using that energy that's available for the day. And when I go back to my behaviors, to my desire to always be quote unquote on to always push 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 I'm actually on the higher end mm. what I call and what is called the window of tolerance like an excited state exactly yeah. so it's here comes the language again are we translating in real time uh -huh. we're <laughs> translating in real time so let's say you start your day you wake up stress hormones make you get that first cup of coffee and you go on your day, you're feeling good, relaxed, alert, but relaxed. Then something happens. 
you get news that your dog was hit by, by a car. You, some, a friend tells that they're mad at you or someone lashes out on you at work or something happens. And you can feel that you are, you're getting a stress response. And that's when we are actually going to the upper levels of window of tolerance because it's a window of optimal arousal. And if we're constantly on the higher end of the arousal, we are using a lot of energy, what people call and we call the flight or flight flight response fight or flight mm. and this is called the stress response and i think that people don't always realize or i don't even or even know that there are always certain behaviors that are linked with this response and we're talking like behaviors like when we're on the upper limit of the window of tolerance, we may feel anxious, we may feel defensive, we may feel impulsive, we may feel restless, hyperactive, we were not flexible with our decision making anymore, we become rigid, we get fudged up super, super fast. And we have what is called the straw vision that you're looking at everything through the straw because you're you're you have high arousal and that's a stress signal a signal of threat and when we're here at the higher end of the window our muscles are tight our breathing is shallow our pulse is fast, our eyes are dry, the stomach is not working well. And this is when we're looking for a threat. And when we're talking about stress, if we're constantly here on the upper end, the nervous system, we're going to use all our energy either for fighting or flighting. When, when we look at the window and we look at the middle section of the window, that's where, where creativity lives, where curiosity lives, where the sense of people want only good things for me live. This is the place or the nervous system state where our inner speech is encouraging, encouraging. Hey, I have, I'm connected with, to my own feelings. I'm connected to the people and the world around me. And I'm connected to you. And this is also where we feel op optimistic. And we feel relaxed enough to let things go. Oh, and to just chill. <laughs> However, 
if we have in the past, if we have learned or certain behaviors have become habitualized, such as always having a task to do, always doing, 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 not really uh, not really <laughs> relaxing without your phone or always running a checklist in the back of your head or going to your work laptop after the kids are in bed, staying or these behaviors of rest and digest, they can feel like a threat. Like it's it's dangerous to just be because I haven't just been enough. Mm. It doesn't feel, it feels odd. Mm. Okay. Let's bring it right back around to the conversation of money and connect the dots for everyone because there's a few things that I think are key in terms of the relationship with money, security, safety, and the nervous system when it doesn't feel secure or safe. That's where we can get into a scarcity mindset, right? And that's I would say one of the connections with money, but I'd love for you to just go a little bit deeper into that for me and how you connect the dots for people. So we talked a little bit about story and understanding your story. We talked a little bit about awareness in your body. So when different things occur in your life, what's the reaction that you have or being able to also like that experience when you were breastfeeding your child being able to calm yourself down in those moments. So then in terms of the nervous system and money and bringing this all back together, how do you help people have a better relationship with money and therefore grow their business with more ease by being in tune with their nervous system? What what does that look like? What are some of these practices look like? The body is a powerful communicator and we can, we can tell our nervous system that things are safe by breathing differently, by moving differently, or what I use in my coaching is by using movement to let the emotions run their course every emotion prepares us for action every emotion so emotions and behaviors are different sides of the same coin and depending on your nervous system state or arousal state it affects both. So knowing how to not get pulled in by the emotions and behaving based on them, how I feel in that moment, but learning how to feel the emotion, 
I found that that has been the key of actually building a business from my future desires instead of my past fears or my habitual learning or whatever programs are running in my head at that moment because I am observing my own behaviors and looking at them through a different lens. One example, when we think of, let's say, rage, and it's a really powerful emotion. There is a lot of energy, survival energy. And our bodies are literally prepared to kill, to fight to the death. And this can show us as fist tightening up. Or you can feel a lot of energy tingling in your arms. You, you can feel that your shoulders are tensing up. And you can feel that your body is really preparing to defend you <laughs> to the last straw. And instead of holding it in, which is not good, or acting it out to your coworker or your client or your spouse. Easy practice, such as pushing the wall done consciously with breathing and actually feeling the emotion, feeling the sensations in your body helps the emotion to just run its course because emotions are meant to be felt. They're not meant to be held. Mm. Yeah. And what have you noticed in your own life as you've brought these practices into your work, into the work that you do with your clients what sort of results have you seen on the other side when you walk through the world in this way with this sort of attention on the body and the mind and the breath? First of all, people are really excited to understand what is this emotion trying to tell me what need is not being met in this situation? Second of all, people have told me that they feel liberated by the fact that they can use their body in that moment mm. to change how they're feeling so that they don't respond from that feeling from that mindset again when our arousal state comes up when we feel threatened our inner speech often gets really critical negative and if i start doing business decisions based on that fear the point looks 
really different from the fact if I notice that, oh, my arousal state is like I'm on the higher end of the window of tolerance. Okay. What is my body asking me to do now? What is the emotion? What does it need? What do I feel that I need to do? What does my body need at this moment? And then I work from that and make better decisions. Did I answer your question? You did. <laughs> you did. You did. Very much so. Okay. Well, we might we might finish it up there. This has been <laughs> really deep in some aspects, but also I think really fun too, because this is certainly not an area of the money conversation that I've explored a lot. I've probably touched the surface in terms of my own learning, especially. And so it's really great to hear you speak to it at that level. And it's almost, and now you, you're going to agree because this is, this is something you're very passionate about, but it's almost like a lot of the teaching around money misses this. And this is really actually where we've all got to start, <laughs> right? And when we are talking about mindset work, you can't change your mind if you don't change the state of your body. Yeah. And when you change your body, you change your mind. And now I'm talking specifically of the state of your nervous system. Brilliant. <laughs> For those of you that can't see Linda, she is smiling. She's excited. It's very cool to hear someone speak so passionately on a topic. And I'm really looking forward to hearing you bring more of this out and change more business owners' lives with this work. It's clearly something that is in a zone of genius, if you will, for you, something that you, you've found and it's like, oh, this is this is the missing piece for oh. so many people. And it's been a journey. It's been a journey that started with my own rage, mm. with my own inability to tolerate certain behaviors in others. It all started with my first, like with our first dog just explosions towards the dog. And I looked at my own behaviors and I was like, whoa, I'm not that person. I don't want to be that person. Mm. I need to do something about this. And then I dove into, into the research. And also, lastly, I studied with the former stress consultant for, how do you call it, NASA, NASA? N-A-S-A. -A. NASA. Is it NASA? NASA. Yeah. NASA. Okay. Yeah. NASA. <laughs> Medical biophysicist and psychotherapist and doctor in psychology, Peter Levine, because I wanted to learn how to understand stress. I wanted to learn how to tap into 
my full potential. I wanted to learn how not to be led by my emotions as in them sweeping me away and then I'm just a puppet that goes (laughs) in the water. But how to take the information from those emotions so that I can make wise decisions. So for everyone listening that is interested in learning more about your work and how you thread this into your coaching and various other things that you do, how can they find out more about this? How does it, how does it work? Like, how do you, you work with clients in this way? I'm really active. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm, I'm really active on Instagram and for the people who are entrepreneurs, I have my own program for them where I teach them the science, where I bring the tools for mindset, for growth, and sales performance. Then I also work with entrepreneurial people who are in the business world, but may look at themselves through a more entrepreneurial Mm. lens. They want to tap into their full potential. They want to perform at their best at work. They want to create, even in the different context than let's say you and me, Mm. but they are really intrigued by this entrepreneurial world where I was before I actually went and started my own business. And with them, I also work and it's more focused on their goals regarding business performance or letting go of certain destructive behaviors or working on certain limiting beliefs and leaping towards a life that feels like their own, a dream life maybe. So I use these techniques, these tools, these the science, it's the same, but we're coming to the science from a certain, like different angles. And you can be both Finnish speaking or English speaking if you want to work with Linda as well to come back to right to the start of our conversation. (laughs) And I love the fact this is actually the first time, like it's different to read in English. It's different to listen to podcasts on this topic in English than to be here on a podcast and freaking talk about the topic in English. So this was a really great experience because this was a heck of a deep end for me. Okay, (laughs) great. Well, I'm glad that we could go there and it's just extraordinary to see how this is helping you in your life. And I know that it's going to help a lot of people. So I think for 
for business owners in particular, it's definitely something that you need to consider. It's like you have your strategy and you have all of that, but this is also very much going to give you the fuel, give you the energy, give you the right mindset. And so we can't, we can't neglect that. So thank you, Linda. And thank you for all the amazing work that you do. Thank you, Ruby. It was a pleasure.